This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by the Charcoal Book Club. Their carefully curated selections reflects the best in contemporary photography and all for a reasonable price. And they are delivered directly to your doorstep each month. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. It's a great way to begin or expand your photo library. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME to receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. This episode of The Candid Frame is also brought to you by Frames Magazine. It's a quarterly publication that showcases the work of many of the best in contemporary photography, including Steve McCurry, Martin Parr, and Amy Vitale. Each issue is beautifully printed and thoughtfully curated by its editors. It's a wonderful way to discover and be inspired by wonderful photography. Subscribe today and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME to enjoy a 10% discount on your monthly and yearly subscription when you visit readframes.com forward slash join. As part of any culture, there are a lot of ideas that we accept as members of that community. If it's a concept that has been held for several generations, we fall in line in order to be accepted by that community. Any difficulty had in adhering to those social norms is usually attributed or faulted to the individual. They're not working hard enough or not committed enough or lack some attribute, be it intelligence or willpower or even skin color and ethnicity. It's a failing of the person and not a possible flaw in the cultural norms we're called to accept and embrace. Art and their creators push against such blind acceptance. It's not just about being a contrarian for contrarian's sake, but rather a search for some inner truth that's often universally shared. Roland Patugan's life and work is about that search, as much as it is an exploration of identity and race. His varied roles as a photographer, an actor, and an educator are rooted not only in the desire to understand his place in the world, but to share and inspire others to make the most of what they have and who they are. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Especially well, on a Friday. Oh, well, yeah. Well, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be invited, considering the guests that you've had. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, man. Yeah. I've, I've been following your work since you did that presentation for the Pasadena, Pasadena Photographic Arts. Right. I mean, you've been in there, but when I saw that presentation a couple of years back, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was really kind of interesting to hear um, another uh, photographer who had a similar story to mine in terms of being of immigrant parents, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in LA, issues of identity growing up and trying to fit in and then, you know, going man and, and, and creating different careers or personas, both to sort of like find your spot in the world, but also in order to figure out who the hell you are at the same time. Right. It's sort of this, duality or dual identity 
or multiple identity, multiple personality, whatever you want to call it, at least for me growing up was trying to exactly, like you said, it's sort of finding out where you fit in and some parts of it were not, um, you know, it seemed foreign, I guess is the best word for a lot of people. Um, and, and, you know, your culture and, and, and yeah, just finding your place uh, was sort of a, kind of one of the drivers of, of, I guess, where I ended up or how I ended up approach or how I ended up approaching these projects of, of mine. Um, but yeah, I think that has been, that has been a driving force for, for a lot of things that I've done artistically anyways. Uh, it's that sort of being that other person in the room. And what is that like to grow up that way for, for a lot of your life, even if it is in Los Angeles, right? In a, in a diverse, yeah. right? What is that about in a diverse, supposedly diverse um, city? Um, there's still this sort of isolation um, that, you know, immigrant kids can can go through. And that's, that's sort of what I went through. Yeah. Because it, for, for me, it was discovering that LA is diverse, but also segregated. Yeah. And uh, it was in middle school when I started participating in speech competitions where we would go out from, you know, my little Catholic middle school in South LA out into the valley that I started discovering that, oh, there are other people out here. Um, and they're not like what I know at home. Right. You know? And and also seeing seeing the disparity in terms of resources right. was was really kind of sort of mind blowing, and that sort of opened the door uh, to me having even a greater awareness of how different I was. Because when I was growing up in South LA, it was largely at that time black and Latino, mm-hmm. you know, Mexican. So, and I was Dominican, mm. so. I was like, I didn't know what the hell I was in relationship to either because I wasn't African-American and I wasn't Mexican, uh-huh. right? So, and no one knew what a Dominican was. Right. So, it was kind of like trying to figure a way to sort of, how do I fit in? And then when I start exploring, you know, the rest of LA, that that sense of difference just became magnified. For you, when when did you start having this awareness that that you, where you were from, your culture, your food, was markedly different from what was around you? I think at an early age, uh, I was born in the Philippines, in Cebu, Philippines. Uh, left, and we moved to Hollywood, California. And then I would say shortly after, about a year or so, after my parents struggling and grinding, like any immigrant family would, we, my dad was lucky enough to land a, a really, really great full-time job um, that al- allowed, afforded us to, to, to actually buy our own home. You know, that's, mm-hmm. I guess, the American dream, quote unquote. So we moved from Hollywood to the San Gabriel Valley. Baldwin Park is the town that I, I grew up in. And for those of you who are listening, uh, your listeners, Baldwin Park is about um, 18 roughly 18 miles east of downtown Los Angeles. So it's not very far in terms of distance, but it's a world Mm -hmm. away uh, in terms of world away from Hollywood, for sure. I mean, it isn't that far from it, but it is in terms of what it looks like and what's portrayed on television, what Los Angeles looks like, maybe back in the 80s, but now it's maybe it's a little different. But predominantly Latino uh, community, 
some so some white kids I remember um, and a handful of Asian Americans that were there. Very similar background to my family, immigrant families as well. Growing up, I remember uh, my parents were like very strict. Like you can you can ride your bike, but you can't <laughs> go very far, like a couple of blocks. So I would know all the Filipino families within a three block radius. It wasn't a whole lot, but I, <laughs> I found them. <laughs> and so that was that became like our community. And th- their parents, my parents, and their parents, so it became this sort of uh, another community within it community you know you have the large latino community then you have this smaller filipino american community within that community um so i i knew i was very different even in that sense because you know going to school uh and i am of filipino and chinese descent so you know growing up going to school kids are just gonna be kids they don't know they don't know they don't know what to make of me just calling me chino you know all that kind of stuff but it's you know that was that's it's just really a description of someone who's chinese right you know, and that's just being, that's just what it was. But I took it such an offense, like, they're, you know, they're calling me something else or other, other derogatory terms that I experienced as well. I, I knew it was very, it was very, I was very different from, I guess, my immediate surroundings at a very young age. And growing up in the 1980s, I was like, many of my friends, we were like into 80s culture, pop culture, music, movies, television. And I knew very early on, as much as I love participating and, and being a part of this or watching, observing 80s culture, I didn't see myself in it. So there was my immediate surroundings where I lived, and also what I loved to do was watch TV and movies, and I didn't even see myself in there. So I thought to myself growing up, am I even am I even American? And, 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 and to add to that, with conversation with parents, when they speak about somebody who's the word Americano, when they say that, they're referring to somebody who's, at the time, it was white, basically. You know, I can hear my parents talking about, oh, so-and-so, they met so-and-so, and, oh, then they, they would describe, oh, they ask, what is what is this person? They'll say, oh, he, he or she is Americano. And I knew what they were saying, that they met, that person was, was not Filipino, not Chinese, not anything else, but just being white. So even that word itself, like, I'm already being kind of conditioned to think I'm not part of this culture. It's even describing what Americano is, and I'm not even part of that. So I had to deal with that from since childhood. And, and and growing up and to this day, you know, it's sort of still I, I look back at that and there's a lot of lot to learn from that as well, for sure. But yeah, at an early age to answer your question, that's kind of when I started to see how, how different I was from like everyone else and wherever what I was seeing, observing in American mm-hmm. quote unquote culture. Well we, one of the things we have in common is that we were both in theater during high school. One of the interesting mm-hmm. aspects about that uh, part of my my life was I was already adept at trying to be somebody else, you know, when I got onto the stage. Oh, oh yeah. You know, it, it wasn't something I had to that's, learn, that's right? And the fact that I could gain acceptance by being somebody else, completely different from me, yeah. was, it was, it got me through high school. That's the first thing. Yeah. But it kind of sort of reaffirmed this idea that being someone else was important. And it took me a while to kind of embrace who I was, even though I, you know, was often in situations where I had to explain who and what I was, because people would look at me and they would assume that I'm black yeah. and they hear my they hear my name and right. they hear me speaking Spanish. All of a sudden, there's this big look of confusion, yeah. and they're just like, "Okay, wait, 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 wait! I thought I had you, I had you pigeonholed. Help me, help me put you in the proper hole, right?" 
<laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, I think that's what's what happens. I think that's what happens maybe in a lot of cultures. And, you know, people want to simplify things. And when they simplify things, they, it tends to want to, you're kind of pigeonholing somebody. You're trying to, trying to simplify them so that way they can comprehend. You know, they, they see you, they, they want to think, you know, black, African-American. They want to they see me. Maybe they think I don't speak English, <laughs> <laughs> you know, things like that. Right. And then when I speak a little bit of Spanish, they're like, whoa, okay. This Chinese person speaking some Spanish and what's, what's going on there. And, and I had to explain, I grew up in this neighborhood and et cetera. So I like, I like surprising people. I mean, I, I to me it's cause we're not, you know, we're not just one thing and we were especially not one thing that people want to pigeonhole us into. That is for sure. And speaking of acting, my, you know, our commonalities is theater in high school up until that time as my freshman year, uh, that was the first time I had an African-American teacher. I had never had one in, in, in grade school, in a elementary school. She was my, she's my first one. And, and I, I'm still, it's hi, Marquita. Mm-hmm. How are you? If you're listening to this, I'm still in touch with her today. And that class was so pivotal in terms of me being able to just express myself just in a, and like say in a manner this way, talking to somebody and let alone front in front of like the classroom, you know, and, and our first assignment was like, a monologue and I was Charlie Brown. I'm thinking, well, there are no Asians. <laughs> Why is there an Asian in the peanuts? But like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It's like, it's acting. It doesn't matter. You're Charlie Brown when you're up there. I'm like, Oh, it, it's like, we can play here. And it doesn't really matter. This, this face, it doesn't really matter. Just play. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know? So yeah. And, and being, letting go of all of those things that I kept outside that classroom, you know, that kind of kept me down or, get me angry, whatever it was, stepping into that drama class and onto that stage was like kind of very freeing, letting go of all that kind of stuff just for that one hour or whatever it was. But yeah, it's a way for us to, I don't know, maybe just, I don't know if it's escape, but like, you know, express ourselves in, in, in the most freeing and purest way without any kind of judgment. I, I, I think a lot about when I consider, you know, the work of others who deal with issues of identity and and race and culture and all those things and i always think about how i relate to it and i i think one of the things that impresses me about people who whose work sort of explores that area is that they they're willing to and able to sort of go deep with it and and it's for me it's it's I admire that because it's been sort of a, a difficult thing for me to fully get to to really come to terms with, right? Because my relationship with my Dominican culture is kind of isolated. I have some relatives here, and there are Dominicans in Los Angeles, but there's no central community like there is in New York, for example. Yeah. You know, where you walk out into the street right. and there's merengue playing and you hear and you smell the yeah. stones and and all this yeah. you know it's it's right there yeah. in your face. And so when I think about right. what I want to say about what it is to be first generation Dominican in Los Angeles, I sometimes am at a loss in terms of how can I do that in in the work beyond simply saying, you know, I'm different, right? Because everyone, regardless of what there yeah. is, they can say that. But I think it's, a, I really, yeah. really would like to hear about your journey in terms of, 
how you started finding ways to be able to express your own story in your images. I think for me, it was very a simple thing. Uh, going back to my love of 80s culture, I, I love, I watch a lot of TV, maybe a little too much as my parents <laughs> would say. Watching like, I love like I think that my favorite sort of form of entertainment at that age was like the sitcom. Family ties, right? You got married with children. Every time, if I didn't see reflection myself in, in those shows, I love those shows. But if and when I saw a reflection of myself in anything that was sort of like pop culture, it was sort of like in a, like a negative light where either the foreigner or were like a caricature. And it seemed to be on the boundaries on the outsider, as an outsider of, the, of this American sort of ideal. We weren't part of that conversation. I recognize that I didn't, and I, and I still like to watch these these platforms of entertainment. But I had no idea that I would ever have any kind of control of this until I was able to to find my voice through, through photography. You know, much many years later as an adult. But I think it's always been in my mind that why can't I, why can't there be like uh, Alex P. Keaton's best friend be Asian or, or Latino in that family ties? Why not? That's mm-hmm. that was my reality. You know, that's how I grew up. You know, one of my best friends, Salvadoran American, Steve Grande, if you're listening, you know, I mean, that was my reality. It was like, I want to say like, you know, a new version of the Little Rascals. It would just be everyone in my neighborhood. Just everyone was just from a different ethnic background. I have this picture. I think I put it up on one of my websites. Um, I was in kindergarten. And it, was, it was, they were celebrating my birthday. It was a birthday cake. And all the kids were standing around me. And I mean, this was like nineteen, like maybe the mid to late seventies. Every it was, it, it, all the kids were were just white, brown, black, you know, yellows, everything, you know, at that age. And so I've, I've I've experienced that since a very young age. Yet there's a disconnect when I would see that in what we see in a popular culture and mm-hmm. in, in here in this country. And so I, I had to try to figure out a way to make make that work for me, especially I, as I started to get into photography. And, and it was so simple. Why not put somebody that looks like me or someone who I grew up with into my, as my subject matter? It was, it's such a, to me, it was like, why not? That it, in itself was already kind of a statement, like for seeing somebody of color already in, in there. So, and I thought, why not? You know, I, I you can create this image that I created in other ways, but it would be, it wouldn't be that same person. It would be somebody else that would be more American, whatever that means. So I think that's kind of how I started it out was just like putting my lived experiences of people that I surrounded myself with into my, as my subject matter. And I think that already resonates in itself because you're seeing, you know, I'm, I'm basing my images out of like, it's influenced by cinema. It's influenced by other pieces of art. And yet those other pieces, like say, paintings of antiquity and all those other things you see kind of this Anglo kind of lens, if you want to call it, you know, in, in school we studied, you know, Renaissance art, but I didn't see any <laughs> reflections of myself in that art. Right. Why can't I put somebody um, in there that, that looked like someone I grew up with, right. When I'm creating it, why not? So that's kind of how I'm doing it. So I, in the sense, talking about acting, I'm the casting director and director and cinematographer. I'm doing everything. Cause it's all, it's all my story and I'm, I have complete control of it and that's what you're going to see. Why not? <laughs> what, what were, um, 
you have several of your projects up on your on your site. Which one was one of the earlier ones that sort of represents you exploring these ideas? I think um, it goes back to photography school. There's this there's a series called Women, where it's all black and white, all shot in medium format Hasselblad, Hasselblad camera that I used uh, at the time, and it I was combining like kind of like playing around with with gender roles. I was getting female friends and asking them, can you, can you come in as a, as a archetype? I'm going to give you some sort of character. And a lot of them were my acquaintances from acting. So they can easily emote and create some sort of character based on my direction. I, you know, I chose people from people who I knew and, and I surrounded myself with diverse people and they became my subjects. And I thought that was really cool, you know, to, to see them do this concept, but yet, you know, black Filipino, white, Puerto Rican, everybody participating in it. Cause I chose them and they were just my friends. It wasn't like a, a casting call specifically looking for people of color. Although that's fine too. Why not? Why don't you do that? If you don't have that in your roster, why don't you seek them out? But I, I already had acquaintances and they were, they were my subject matter. So that's, so I started experimenting with that. And I'm like, yeah, I need subjects and why not just choose people who I know and, and that was already there. So to me, it's very much a real thing. And I think um, eventually after I, you know, years years later, I was doing We the People, that series where I have, this is 2016 with a very, you know, divisive year. I, I, I got inspired to create it because we were going through so much <laughs> of division at that time. That was just still, that was just, that was a trailer, <laughs> right? 2016 trailer <laughs> to like you know 2020 and all of that but i didn't think it was gonna get any worse than that but oh boy but uh going back to that series i i, I don't know why i forgot this i'm like oh I, I, my concept is to have the flag in the background and make it all black and white it's kind of inspired by gordon parks a little bit uh that one shot with he has the the cleaning employee in front of, in front of the flag i'm like i'm gonna do that but like i'm gonna put my friend i'm like maybe i should have put a casting call and i thought wait I got friends that could stand in front of the flag. That's going to represent who, what America is. Why did I even, why did I even think about putting a casting call? Of course, I don't need a casting call. Yeah. I just call my friends up. Send a black email blast. Everyone was on board. It was just, just like, yeah, let's do this. I, I know why you're doing this. Let's just do this. So to me, that was like so rewarding to do that. Everyone, everyone coming together for that purpose. And I, I think I love being able to do projects like that because we're all kind of on the same boat and same page about representation and, and being seen. You know, photographers, including myself, have a lot of ideas for, you know, projects we would like to do. Talk, walk me through your process in terms of having an idea, having several ideas, and making the decision that you're going to do one in particular, and what that process sort of looks like as you, you know, start putting it together and and manifesting it. I think it's it's really hard because I've been thinking about that. There hasn't. It, I think it starts out as an exercise, mm. meaning, okay, I have this idea. Like for example, I have the tattoos and milk. I lived in Echo Park at the time, and I had this really cool bathtub that was kind of designed in penny tile. The, the apartment or house, the whole structure itself was built in 1930s, and the landlord kind of kept the design of that era, including the bathroom. And I thought, oh, I would love to photograph this bathroom, but like that's kind of boring, just a bathtub with penny tiles, but I'm not trying to send this image to dwell <laughs> or architectural digest. 
You know, this, that's, not, that's not what it's about. And I love photographing people. So how do I incorporate the two? Well, I've always loved body art. I've always loved tattoos. But I didn't want to create, like, imagery that was just, you know, tattooed, someone tattooed on a seamless. I mean, that's okay. That's cool if it's done. But, like, I want to do something a little bit different. And I thought, why don't I combine the two? Because you can't have a bathtub empty. And why don't you, why don't I just put some, put them in there? But then they can't be in there without water. So I thought, why not why just put some milk in there? The milk would actually kind of allow the, the person to hide and or showcase whatever they want. I wanted to do like uh, them being, you know, implied nudity without really showing them completely nude, but just it was implied. Because when you're in a bathtub, I didn't want to put people in there in the bathing yeah. suit. It didn't make any sense. But it wasn't about, a, it wasn't a nude shoot either. So how do I, how do I kind of combine, marry, marry this, these ideas together? And the milk kind of came in. It that's what made the series, I think, because it allowed for me to showcase and hide certain body parts, showcase certain tattoos, and it can create interesting shapes. So I take this idea, then I'm like, okay, then I go back to that sort of idea of like, well, I'm going to throw people in there that I that I that I know, obviously, and then the diverse and kind of who I grew up or who I surround myself with. So it always goes back to that. Once I come up with a concept, I reach out to my roster, and they're already there. They're already they're you know, ready and willing. It's already a diverse set uh, of people. And I, I've been asked, like, how do you get, you know, how do you get such a diverse <laughs> set of models? I'm like, because <laughs> these are my friends. <laughs> or, you know, I, I know these people. <laughs> I mean, uh, go make some <laughs> friends that, that are maybe not part of where you live. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I, I, I grew up in a certain area that was already diverse. And, yeah, I get some people live in an isolated community, and it's probably the same kind of maybe ethnic or maybe if it's just a certain race there. Well, I don't, I, you know, I, all I can say is, you know, get out of that and go, go to other places, go eat different types of food that you never ate. I go to visit, go visit San Gabriel Valley. If you never, you never visited that place before, I think. So I, I already have like this, uh, I guess the availability of the people, the diversity there. Um, but to answer your question, yeah. So I would find, I would kind of think of an idea and then do a test shoot and then, and then keep going uh, with it. Now, that's not always the case. Now, as art, art is a great thing for us as human beings to be able to kind of express ourselves. As we've seen in the past, you know, three years living under COVID, we've had, you know, social unrest. And, and it's, it's this sort of, it's a really great way for you to kind of, I don't know, it's almost like kind of therapy so I think in 2018 or so, 20, yeah, 2018, I was going through some things personally. Uh, I felt like I was kind of out of control with my life, meaning I, I didn't really have a whole lot of control financially or direction. Felt like I was drowning, metaphorically. Like I'm kind of just trying to tread water here. So I took that idea of this of this, this drowning in like, okay, or just trying to get my head above water. And I said, what does that look like? I, I, I noticed I tend to gravitate to water. I mean, it's tattoos and milk, but it's, it's essentially water. I tend to gravitate to this this element of water, and I think, okay, let's let's take this to another 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 direction. It's not it's not milk. It's something else. It's it's sort of like they're in this sort of body of water, trying to trying to survive. And and I, instead of me, I didn't want. To, I'm not a self portrait artist, so I I decided to to, to place some of my female friends female friends because I think women have kind of been dealing and struggling to find a place in life since, since dawn. 
So I decided to, to find uh, some friends of mine who were willing to to get into like this kiddie pool or <laughs> of water. I would dress it up as if it looked like it was a pond, and that became the pond series. And what was what I was going through is this is all like in hindsight. I didn't realize I was that was my therapy at the time. I was like, I don't know why I have to do this, mm-hmm. but I got to do this. I have to create this image as if someone is sort of like kind of drowning or almost trying to survive. I didn't know that was me actually at the time, even until later on when one of my friends looked at the work at, at a, at a show and they said, this is what you were going through. Your identity was being challenged. Whatever you were going through was, it was challenging you and you channeled it this way. I'm like, wow. Wow. (laughs) And that's sort of, so it all depends what I, if I'm going through something and I think that's, you know, I kind of looked to art like 2016 with the We the People series. I was kind of going through something like the rest of the country. Uh, I channeled it that way. And then uh, this one was very personal. And I, I created that imagery through, through like, I guess, sort of my experiences of metaphorically drowning, so to speak. So there's, so there's that. There isn't really necessarily one uh, formula, but it's more like coming up with some sort of idea and then seeing if I could, make that real or realize that idea yeah like what you're saying there because i'm not one of those people that sits down there with a notebook and a sketchbook and starts brainstorming on 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 paper i just my brain is not wired for that i just kind of dive in (laughs) but one of the things i've had to learn is that uh when i start i don't know what the hell i'm doing but i trust the process and know that if I just do the work, at some point I will figure it out. Uh, it may not be immediately revealed to me. It may be revealed way way after I've even finished the work. But mm-hmm. I think that's that's uh, an important lesson to, to learn. And it seems like you you kind of sort of em- embrace that idea that yeah, I, I need to do this. I may not know why, and yeah. not letting your lack of understanding keep you from doing the work because i i can also overthink things overthink something to death right yeah so <laughs> right so is right. that a struggle for you at all yeah because yeah if i start to overthink it then it's not a natural like then maybe i'm trying to force it um but i you know i try not to I try to see i try to catch myself if i am going going that route and i also think it's hard to, you know, everyone, every artist has their own process. It's like, when, when is the series over? When, when is something, you know, done? Is it ever done? Right. And that's sort of like, I, I, I got to f- sort of feel that, I suppose. Um, have I said what I wanted to say in these set of images? Is there anything else I need to say or say it in a different way within this body of work? I think it's different with, with each artist and how many, how many pieces belong in the series. Right. I think that's sort of, uh, for me, it has to kind of come sort of within. And it's also like with that, the pond series, like I would like to continue it, but like, there's just a lot of water involved. It's like, it's kind of a production. And, you know, at the time I'm borrowing someone's backyard. Hi, Laura. Thanks for <laughs> letting me borrow your backyard. Um, it's a lot of water. And, um, but for me to, aside from that, I'd have to get in that mind space. I'm not, not necessarily drowning right now either. I, I could certainly create these things again you know and, and do it in similar fashion but do i want to I don't know, go there i don't know so there's also that uh do i it's almost like with with acting 
I, I beyond high school, I ended up studying method acting at Lee Strasberg out in West Hollywood. And there's this emotional recall technique that that is taught to the students, and you try to you try to find something in your uh, in your life that that created some sort of emotion, and you bring that memory back in through your character. But you know that could be you know traumatizing if if you have to relive yeah. through that trauma again. You may get a genuine performance, but you're emotionally devastated on stage or in front of the camera. Not a very healthy way to to create that character. So I don't know if I want to go into that you know that space again. Do I need to get in that space? But you could argue maybe not. You can still create imagery similar to that because I have like a, a blueprint. But then, you know, I don't know, things could trigger. I could re-trigger myself into that space when I was there creating and I wouldn't want to do that. So, so it's kind of, it's a, little, it's a little complicated in that sense, depending on what the series is. Something like the women series where I'm dressing up women as men, that's just fun. To me, it's just like, here, put on this mustache. Let me give you this character. You're a magician <laughs> yeah. now. I'm going to have you float this card. You know, I'm just playing and that's completely fun. I can get into that space anytime. So it all, I guess it all depends on what the nature of that series is. So I think maybe to answer your question, um, I think a lot of my work, there's something, there's some issue. It may not be evident in the work, but it definitely is an influence that kind of sparks sort of um, the project. We, the people, divisiveness of the country, but also at the same time, I've always wanted to say someone who looks like me or looks like, like my friends, we're Americans. That's kind of a larger picture there. So that was my opportunity to say that uh, in, in, in that series. So I think there's always something in there, everything that I've, I've done that kind of is that, yeah, that's, that's what that's about in reality. That's if you drill down to the, it's very core. This is what that series is about whether it's you know communicated to the viewer or not i know that's there and then you know whether and it's not so important for them to understand that if they get it it's great but i think the fact that it's there creates this image that they can interpret on their own way which i think is that's what art is it's beautiful to get a taste of the kinds of books you could look forward to with your membership to the Charcoal Book Club, I recommend going directly to their site and look at what they've offered in the past. You'll find so many great titles, some of which are my favorites, including South Central by Mike Steinmetz, I Can't Stand to See You Cry by Raheem Fortune, Girl Pictures by Justine Curland. When you view the sample pages of these and other books, you get a glimpse into the exceptional work that's being offered to you. Many of these titles are already sold out, and so I'm so glad that I didn't miss out on adding these monographs to my own library. They provide me so much pleasure and inspiration, and it's something I look forward to each month. With your membership, you receive a quality monograph. The books reflect a diversity of genres, photographers, and styles that you will enjoy, even if you're not a practicer of that particular genre of photography. And if you don't like that month's release, you can choose an alternative book of equal value in their catalog. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. Sign up today and make sure to use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout to enjoy 10% off your first membership payment. Another great way to enjoy a regular dose of inspiration is a subscription to Frames Magazine. 
a publication dedicated to showcasing great photography on print. Published quarterly, the magazine is printed on high-quality paper and reminds me of the great photo magazines of the 60s and 70s. Your membership includes Frame's Digital Companion, a monthly PDF publication. You'll also enjoy engaging with Frame's magazine's Artist in Residence series, which features a new photographer each month who will share their process and advice via video, audio, and written content. Enjoy what they have to offer by subscribing today and use the promo code BECANDIDFRAME to enjoy a 10% discount on your monthly and yearly subscription when you visit readframes.com forward slash join. And please remember that we are always in need of your financial support. Though the show is free, it takes a lot of time and effort to produce each episode and your contributions help us to make it all happen. You can contribute five, ten, twenty dollars or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Though we'd love for you to be a longtime supporter, your commitment for even three to six months would be helpful. Please consider doing it today. Thank you so much for your support. It's interesting trying to strike a balance between, for lack of a better word, earnestness and fun Mm -hmm. and play, right? Because you're dealing with some like real deep, important subject matter. But as a creative, the idea of having fun, being a child, creating, that is so much a part of why I do it. And when you start getting into, into sort of the fine art world where everyone's sort of a, expecting you to be able to pontificate on your work and why it's important and valuable, it kind of drives me a little bit nuts. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you're navigating those those waters. <laughs> so in that, it's a, yeah. how do you make sense of all that? Uh, I think, I think you, you hit it. It's sort of like, you're right, this pontification of something. And I think I'm going to keep it real. It's like if you really want to ask me why I do things, because I don't see myself or the friends I grew up with in art, period, right? I don't see enough of representation in there, period. How, what am I going to do about that? Well, I got some power to do that mm-hmm. through my voice. I can do it that way. I'm not a casting director in the sense of TV and film, but I can certainly cast my own sort of stories in a still or in a series. So when it comes down to it, it's really about that for me, representation that I never really saw. And that could be, that's basically the essence, I would say a little bit of almost everything that I've done. There's always that. And yeah, and so now I'm thinking, I'm talking about like now, another series I did where I went to Denmark um, and I was visiting a friend for the first time there uh, who's, uh, who's Danish, uh, but lived in New York for quite some time. But I met him in like Costa Rica, a whole other story. <laughs> Uh, but I visited him there for the first time. Hey, too, if you were listening to this, I, I, I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to visit you. I know you've been in LA many times and it's my turn to go see you where you're from. And I, I jokingly said, Hey, will I be the only Asian in all of Denmark or Scandinavia for that matter when I'm there in summer? And he responds with all these Facebook links of his friends that were all Asian living in Denmark. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going on in Denmark? Why are there so many Asians? Why are you? Why do you know so many Asians in Denmark? I thought Denmark was like, you know, just yeah. Wonder Bread, basically. Gonna look pretty homogenous, right? 
It turns out all the friends that he sent me links to were also Korean ethnically, but culturally they were Danish. They were also adopted Koreans. They were adopted at, 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 at infancy from Korea. And I thought, what is this about? And I said, do you think there's a story here? Is it just something I could, can I meet them and take their picture and interview them? It's like, yeah, sure, why not? So 2015, I did that for four people. 2017, I would return and it's like 30 interviews and photo essays, talking to, these, talking to them. And, and I knew this going in. I knew that we were going to have a common ground of feeling like an outsider in the country that we grew up in. That's the commonality, right? That was that's what it was. I knew that was going to happen, even though I, you know, I didn't I didn't meet the first one until you know I got there. But I like I knew I knew my questions were going to be, so do you feel did you did you feel like you know less Danish growing up? Because you know all the questions I would ask of you know people here growing up as Asian Americans, same questions, and yeah, the answers were we had a shared experience. It just wasn't on the other side of the world. Of feeling that isolation and being the other uh, person in the room, and I thought, "Wow, like this, this, this is a thing um, that we experience uh, as human beings, just trying to find our place where we live." Even so, that again, going back to like why I do things, it all kind of comes back to 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 that my childhood of like not seeing enough of myself and my friends out, represented out there in the in the media that we're consuming or art that we're consuming. What what perspective did that give you, interviewing them, photographing them, that as aware as you were about the dynamic of otherness in this country, being able to talk to somebody else in a different country who was having a similar experience, but also very different. What did you learn about your own experience that you had never considered? That I'm not alone in terms of globally feeling this way. And that we all kind of have similar struggles too. Even if this is a completely different culture, completely different country, but I wasn't alone in, in this. And that there's some resilience there with, with them and as with people of color here in this country who have to deal with the same thing. And I just, I just think that why can't we just gather all these people who have to deal with that Put them in power. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm turning your podcast into a political podcast now, but I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but I'm like, you know, it's like, I think I wouldn't be having these this conversation with you if there was a different kind of casting director in the 80s who were casting these shows, or the showrunners, mm-hmm. the writers, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, this conversation, I would be talking to you about something else, possibly, maybe I wouldn't even be an artist, who knows? Yeah, there, I, I just, I think, when it comes down to it, I, I realized that this, I wasn't I wasn't alone in this, and it, I just felt like there was this connection um, with them. I'm not Korean, I'm not adopted, but yet I have this connection with them. We're kind of going through this sort of similar experiences, in two different countries altogether. Otherness uh, that could be anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. So, who who have you thought about who you're making your work for, and is that important to you? Hmm. I think I, you know, that's a good question. I think I'm making my work for people uh, who are like myself, who, who want to see more of a reflection of, of the reality that I lived. Uh, it's, it's for, for them. It's for, 
for the kids on my two, three radius, you know, block uh, um, of, of it's those, it's for them. Um, it's for anyone who doesn't feel like they're part of this American sort of conversation. You are, you are certainly part of it. And I, I think it's, it is for, for those people who I guess felt or feel left yeah. out. When it, when it comes to LA, I'm always so hungry to, to see my LA in work. And that's kind of rare, right? You know, for me, it's just like, can I please see a lot of work east of the 405, please? You know, right? <laughs> you know, let's get let's get past the, you know, the 10, and let's get into yeah. you know the the, the five and yeah, the 18 exactly. and the 118. You know, and it's just like, because yeah. I've explored all those areas, and, but they're also like so many people in LA. I've passed through. And I've never been immersed in it, but it's familiar. Right. And when I see work that kind of reflects that, it gets me excited. And that diversity that you know that we're, that we're talking about in terms of the voices and the images that we see, I think it's really important because you know, even though I am much older, I can imagine that for someone who's much younger, who's going through exactly the same stuff that we did when we were kids, to be able to see that and see themselves right. reflected in art can be incredibly yeah. empowering for sure i i think you know the, f the first time i ever saw a bruce lee movie you know i, I realized it wasn't an american film the, the one i saw it wasn't it wasn't um was it enter the dragon i think that's the one that was the uh, the american produced film but i i didn't see that one that was my first one my first one was like fist of fury or something like that made in probably thailand or something like that definitely a, a hong kong production but i was still excited the fact that here was this you know, a Asian guy kicking ass in a film, in a medium that I love to watch, which was movies, cinema, and a large screen. Well, I didn't get to see it on a large screen at the time because I think the Bruce Lee films that eventually came out uh, in Hollywood, I think I was not around just yet. I saw it on VHS, but I thought that excited me. Like you said, I was able to see that and, and a reflection of that. And then I would see the American culture kind of like adopt it and start putting, you know, put it into their into their story, storyline in, 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 in movies, but not necessarily having an Asian person play those characters, but they're just taking the martial arts aspect and putting it in there. Um, but to me, that's exciting just to see, to see that. And, and thinking about like now, you know, sort of full circle for this actor, Ki Hui Kwan, who who's like recently nominated for yeah. best, best Supporting Actor. He's, he's won everything, everywhere, all at once, but also his claim to fame was being the Goonies. And when I saw that film, I thought I didn't want to be an actor at the time. I was still, I was, I'm about his age. I saw, wow, that's, that's representative of like, kind of like my sort of like childhood. You have all these kids going out on some sort of adventure. And I see him there. I'm like, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. We get to see, we get to see an Asian kid out, out there. But then now it's, I don't know how many years later he, he wasn't able to crack that code into a career until finally now he's, you know, uh, happy for him. Things like that get me excited too. It's like it, it took a while. He's he's here. Yeah, that he's still here and he's still kind of on a pavement. But like that to me was like wow. You know, I thought back then when I was his age, you know, that young age, uh, I thought it was going to be that way. I was like, We're going to start seeing more people like ourselves. You know, there's there's a movie. You know, he was an Indiana Jones film too. So it's like okay, here we go. But then it never really sort of manifested into anything it just there's these these nice starts but there's no right. follow-through 
with the industry. Yeah, it, it does get me excited. And I just I just hope there's there's more um, more there. And interestingly enough, uh, recently, I haven't created a lot of um, it's been difficult with the pandemic trying to get back into a groove of creating art through photography. But uh, I want to share that I have returned to the stage oh, okay. in acting and, and have a different attitude now toward to, to it. It's not about trying to make it a living like I did 20-something years ago where I thought this has to be it. It has to be my career. Uh, it's a different approach now. It's about doing things in you know, at least my life that bring me joy. And, and I realized that I didn't hate acting when I left it you know, well over a decade ago. I just hated trying to make a living out of it. I still love the art form of it, to be able to express myself and live through a character, whether it's on stage or on film. So I'm kind of finding my way back there. And again, my photography has has been influenced with acting and, and theater because I have, I have, I know what it's like to be in front of the camera. I know what it's like to be on stage, so I can direct my subjects in a certain way to get something out of them. But here I am, kind of going back to to that love of storytelling, using your physical body to tell stories. And then I'm sure that's going to feed into maybe a new photography series at some point, because all this all this art that intersects with each other is all going to, I think, create something. Um, at least with me that's kind of how it works so how do you think being creative in a different way in this case photography and and using your life experiences your awareness your history to create photographs how do you think that's going to make you a different actor well as you know i've lived a little bit more life since i left the stage well over a decade so i think life itself what i've been through i can bring that into the roles that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing now in terms of like photography and, and story. I don't know if necessarily being a photographer and then now stepping back into the acting, I don't know how that can help me. It can, but I, I don't want it to help me in a way like where's what yeah, good yeah. in this angle <laughs> versus on this light. Cause I know I could do that. I know kind of like it, you know, if I had, if I had control of the production, hey, can you use a soft <laughs> light on me? <laughs> You'd be one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be one of those, right? Because I, I, I have the knowledge of that. I'm like, you know, so I don't want it to influence it in that way. So I, that's that's sort of like kind of up in the air, how, how that kind of translates back, I think. I, I, don't, I really don't know uh, how that's going to work out because I know it's gone that way from acting to photography. Yeah, so, I, but, I, I think about that when I, when I talk to... Um, other creatives, whether they're like dancers or painters or actors. And for me, the, the sort of the unifying thread is the ability to, to, to be in the moment. There was, um, there was a fellow, a guy, a, a YouTuber who was doing, uh, did a video on creating portraits. And he was photographing this woman and he's talking about this whole process of engaging with her. Um, relaxing her, but also being completely in, immersed in in the moment. And there was just like this instant where she revealed herself in a way that he immediately recognized and he made the photograph. And it is amazing portrait. And when I looked at it, it was like, it wasn't just the way she was dressed or the way she was lit. There was a genuineness there that I think is one of the 
one of the most beautiful things that you can capture in a two-dimensional representation of someone. And it's and it's a uh, it's the best photographers work really hard to be able to get to that place. And I think that musicians and actors really are in pursuit of that that genuineness, but I think it could only come as a result of not having an agenda and being completely immersed in in the moment. For me just just as a as a photographer, it's it's a combination of of wanting it really bad, but then realizing that I have to let go of the desire to want it. Because if I want it too much, I'm going to force it and it's not going to happen. That's one of the reasons I love talking to other creatives who get that, you know, because I'm always sort of curious is how, not only how they, you know, they may get there at a particular moment, but how they manage to get back there consistently. Yeah. With different people too. That's, I think that that's, yeah. And I think that's, playing like an artist or like if you're right, creating exactly. portraits, whether it's photography, painting. And if you want to create that moment, I think we're like wearing a director's hat at that moment for sure. Um, and I agree. I think that's exactly what I want to capture is, is getting that subject, whoever I'm photographing to be you know, uninhibited, just, just, just be right there at that, at that moment. And it's a split second. And thank God photography, it's a fraction of a second. If you can get that, Get them there. <laughs> now, doing that for 24 frames per second on a film, that's a whole other story. That's, <laughs> you know, Stanley Kubrick level uh, directing. Yeah, that's something I try to uh, uh, try to achieve, but not force it. As you said, I, you know, I don't want to make that my ultimate goal. Uh, as when I go into a series, I'm happy if I can get something. If I, if I can't, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But forcing it, you know. Sometimes I, I, you know, I try to get that, mm-hmm. but then it doesn't, this doesn't work out. There's no, we're not, me and the subject aren't clicking right. Or I'm, you know, maybe I was thinking of something else before I showed up at the studio. I'm not really present. They're not present. Um, who knows, right? All, all kinds of factors. But if you can get that moment, like you said, it's, it's magic. And I think, uh, yeah. I think, I think, I think a lot of us portrait photographers try to try to achieve that. And there's different ways that you can, you know, I, I tend to ask questions, uh, with my subjects, you know, if I want to just break, just, just disarm them a little bit. What'd you have for breakfast? You know, what was, did someone cut you off in the freeway today? You know, just kind of make them crack a little bit. And right when they crack, that's sort of like, they're kind of ready right there. Just, just getting, <laughs> just getting that moment right there and see how, where they go from that point forward. And sometimes a, a photo shoot can get really quick because they already gave me, uh, you know, what I needed. Um, but sometimes it could be drawn out and maybe I'm not quite getting what I want and maybe I'm just forcing it. So, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Getting that moment is, that's, that's what I would want for sure. So how do you, how do you get prepared when you do, when you're going to make a portrait of someone leading up to, to the moment? Cause I think, you know, there's always a fixation of people in terms of where right. you put the light or right. the lenses. But for me, it's like, it's all the stuff that happens before the person sits down exactly. in front of you. That's, that's yes. key, you know. So, what what is your what is your process in terms of getting getting to that base? It's exactly what you said. It's creating that environment, the set. It's already lit properly. Everything's properly exposed. You got your probably got your composition, but not be so tied and married to it. Be open to changing your composition a little bit because it you may look better in a different way. 
having all those technical things kind of out of the way and done that way you're free to really kind of connect with that subject so that's kind of my process get that stuff out of the way early before they're even on set like you know maybe they're on set they're getting in their wardrobe or whatever makeup and i'm by the time they, they step in, on my set it's 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 good to go i'm playing around there's no more what's the light measurement here and all that kind of stuff so yeah I, ideally that's the situation it doesn't always become that way but ideally that's what it is so did it take you a while to sort of trust yourself um that's what school is for uh Making mistakes in school. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I say that I might be biased because I'm an educator, but make all your mistakes, be all shy and awkward, get that out of the way in school because it's, it's, you're there to learn anyways, right? And I think the first few times you're going to take pictures of, say, it's portraits, it's an, it may be a disaster. It's okay, but just don't give up. I, I remember. Uh, she's going to love me for, for bringing, in, bringing her in this conversation. My wife, Christine, I remember she was a subject of mine. She was my girlfriend at the time when I was studying portrait photography. This is back in Santa Monica College. I was taking a portrait class, medium format uh, film, Hasselblad, which kind of that, when I discovered that combination of the medium format, black and white and studio, I was like, why didn't I discover this sooner? Uh, so anyways, I'm in this portrait class learning how to do all of this stuff for the first time. And of course, she's I'm thinking she's my girlfriend. This is going to be she's going to be very supportive, understanding. And all I get from her is like, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Are we done yet? And the thing is, the studios in Santa Monica College, they're just separated by a curtain. There's no there's that's not soundproof. So my classmates are like giggling on either side oh. of me. Like, Man. like, who are you shooting? That's my girlfriend. That's her girlfriend. <laughs> so she was like, are we done? Do you know what you're doing? And I'm like, I'm thinking if you ever get, if you ever work with someone like that, oh, that's going to toughen your skin up easily. Right. And that's someone that, that was my girlfriend. At the time. <laughs> so long story short, we're married. We're happily married. <laughs> um, going on, on uh, thir- uh, 13 years uh, uh, of marriage. But uh, yeah, that was so how did how, how the question is how do you get to trust yourself you know go through maybe you should have some tough subjects to begin with you know make all your mistakes there um and then once you get that uh hopefully that's going to give you some confidence i'm not saying someone can rattle me i'm sure someone can show up and just just you know try and destroy what i'm trying to the vibe of the set but in the end we're all we're making pictures here just remember that we're not saving lives technically on the spot like yeah emts are paramedics we're creating creating art creating photographs and keep that keep yourself grounded in that and hopefully you know everything else will kind of come into place um yeah well my last question that i ask each guest is i ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore and it can be anyone someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered so who would that one photographer be and why i recently started uh Looking at this photographer, uh, Cara Romero, indigenous fine art photographer. So I've seen some of her work at the Huntington, and she spotlights uh, women in her culture and beautiful portraits, like ethereal-looking uh, portraits. And I've been fascinated by the way she paints that light uh, of the women in her, her culture or the people in her culture. 
probably obvious why I gravitated to that because that's kind of like what I'm trying to do with you know spotlighting people who I kind of grew up and surround myself with, right? And hers is very specific to her Native American community, so I, I've been really enjoying her work. So yeah, it's got Cara Romero. Oh, thank you for that, and glad we finally had a chance to sit down and talk properly. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, about it next. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias. This has been amazing. And thank you again so much for having me. Thanks to Roland for joining us. Find out more about Roland and his work by visiting Roland.com. If you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame. You can support us financially also by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. Thanks to Mike Arison, Stephanie Banks, Matt Gruen, Hubert Thompson, and Brian J. Lewis for their recent contributions. It's so greatly appreciated. We've also relaunched our newsletter, and if you want to receive updates on everything related to the Candid Frame, as well as book recommendations and announcements for special events and workshops, not only from us, but some of our guests, please sign up by visiting our website. And if you can't find every show episode on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.